Hello and welcome to another episode of Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. I am as always Elaine and with me, one other person. This time it's Fletcher. As always, we're here reviewing, retrospecting, looking at every pop-punk and emo-pop record that charted on Billboard between 1999 and 2013. We are currently in the year 2002. And this week, we're going to talk about a simple band from a simple land made of simple mans, Taking Back Sunday. Yeah, we told you last week that we were going to talk about Simple Plan. We lied. We are actually talking about Taking Back Sunday today with Tell All Your Friend, the 2002 The Butt record. Remember when I told you to tell all your friends? I lied. Yeah, do you have any prior experience with Taking Back Sunday, Fletch? Uh, I did eventually realize that I had heard the song You're So Last Summer before, but other than that, no. That was the biggest song on this record. I have an amount of nostalgia for Taking Back Sunday. I got into them, I think, around like 2006, which was sort of the Make Them Sure era. And... uh you know, you go back, you, you, you get into a band, you go back, and I used to listen to this record like a fuckton in high school. Not understanding a lot of the problematic lyrics on the record, but it sounded nice, and there was a lot of screaming, and it, it, it was nice. Uh, this generally took me back. This is generally one of the things that you put it on and it's just like, ah, this reminds me of a time of my life that it isn't now. Interesting. I definitely think this is a good album, but I also think we will have to discuss some issues in places. We will have to discuss many issues in places. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, this is pretty much, again, I say it every time a band comes up, but this is pretty much what I think when I think emo pop. I always remember this album being heavier than it is, but no, this is not nearly as heavy as, like, Finch. And um, this is sort of the sound that led into this kind of stuff entering more the mainstream. Because it's definitely poppier, there is still that screamo aggression, but it's not, you know, it's not hitting you in the face with uh, super heavy guitars. We're gonna talk about it. This is, uh, I don't know, I still like this record. It has problems. <laughs> That's okay. I enjoyed this listening. It is also like a really lean 33 minutes, which helps a lot. Yeah. And yeah, do we want to go to the obligatory? Because it's Simopo. That's an obligatory. Oh, yes. And will you tell all your friends You've got your gun to my head The song was only wish for thinking The song was only wish for thinking 
the song was only wishful thinking. The song was only wishful thinking. Let go. This is the time where I tell you all the terrible things that happened to an emo band with my lovely chocolate melodic voice. We need to talk about giant piece of shit Jesse Lacey, who, while not on this album, and technically only a blip in the history of Taking Back Sunday, was the original bassist when they were doing demos before he left to go start brand new and become a sex pest. He did not make it onto any recording, but it is there. Yes, it's important to note. Also, Josh Nolan, which is the rhythm guitar player of the band, has been reported by Paramore's Haley Williams to have made uh, not very appropriate comments about her genitals while she was still 17 and they were touring together, or at least like in the same scene, which is incredibly shitty. And uh, yeah, if on this information you don't want to listen to this record or you don't want to listen to this episode... Definitely valid. Come back in another week for um, Simple Plan Forever, the one that we'll eventually release. <laughs> the problem is that Simple Plan is like also, also problems. Also problem. <laughs> ah, the problem clowns. Simple Plan. Uh, the, the, we're gonna have to talk about Brand New again later on Jesse Lacey because sadly they're sort of intertwined in their history and I hate it, so... Let's go with the, the history of this band before we have to do that again. about a band from Long Island, New York, Taking Back Sunday. I, I was thinking that, like, Long Island is a really shit name for an island. It's like, what should we call this island? I don't know, it's Long. Long Island? All the people who left Europe to come over and found my nation were the dullards and people who had too much of a stick up their ass for the Church of England. Creativity was not on their menu when they came over and went, Aye, tis a long island. This is like, I don't know, Kingdom Hearts level of naming islands. What should we call this? Destiny Island? Because it's like where people do destiny things. Long Island is worse. Long Island is just the shape. At least Destiny Island is named after its plot significance. But they only call it that because they're teens. Like, for all we know, Destiny Islands actually has a real name that's like, no, this whole thing takes place on Puget Sound, but nobody talks about that because eight-year-olds were like, I'm going to build a raft and go out into the sky. <laughs> uh, somehow we always find our way back to Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> it's because I keep playing Kingdom Hearts. That's my problem. Same TBH. Uh, Taking Back Sunday is a band that has so much lineup turnover that there is an entire Wikipedia page of Taking Back Sunday members. You know, sort of like how Martin Scorsese's filmography is too big for one page. 
That's how many people have come into and left this band. So we're not gonna go through all of the member changes because we don't hate ourselves. Uh, we're just gonna mention the current formation when we talk about their album. Also, Ellie, saying that the two of us don't hate ourselves is really just a blatant lie. <laughs> we don't have the peppy young host here this week. Look, sometimes you have to put on a smile and lie. Sometimes I have to put on all of the pancake makeup and eyeliner possible and croon to Mike's. I don't get that reference, but sure. I was doing a bad Robert Smith. The, the closest thing they come to stable members are the singer Adam Lazzara and the drummer Marco Connell, both of which are not founding members, though, because this is extremely complicated. Again, this is Kino Mart's level of uh, convoluted plot. Lazzara actually had to move from North Carolina to New York to join the band, which uh, will cause him personal problems, as the New York scene was very drug and alcohol and many things that are not good for your long-running health field. Yikes. The other uh, almost... Constant member is guitar player Eddie Reyes, but he eventually left the band. Around 2001, so the band is fully formed, working on a set of demo, which they called the Tell All Your Friends demo. The name was basically a way to tell people to share the band's music with their friends, and was partly inspired by the popularity of the platform Friendster. We were living in a pre-MySpace world. Can you even imagine that? How many of our listeners don't know MySpace? I don't know what the age average of our listener is, because I... My imagination is that most people who listen to us is people who were around when this music was a thing. But I don't know how real that is. <laughs> Alright, that's fair. I, rem I remember MySpace barely. I remember all of this. Well, yes, you are older than time itself, but... I, as the, as the host in the middle, as the complete median of the age of our hosts, I barely even remember MySpace. I'm going to be played by Christopher Lloyd and die soon, because I'm the oldest person in his podcast. But yeah, they record these demos, which is pretty much all of the songs on this record, aside from one song that will show up on the next record, because they don't have budget nor time to re-record that song when it came to recording the actual record and they both sell them at the show and start shopping them around to labels initially with not a lot of luck most labels were like yeah whatever fuck off all right here's the fun part and we're gonna go quickly through this stop me if you need me to Jesse Lacey, the brand new guy we mentioned earlier, was revealed to have been in incredibly abusive scenarios with minors who were fans of the band. We don't want to talk about this in detail, but we do need to talk about how Brand New was kind of a counterpoint to Taking Back Sunday, and this album specifically has a lot of bad blood put out through different tracks on it. So, the speedy version... In 2000, the story goes that John Nolan of Taking Back Sunday hooks up with Jesse Lacey's then-girlfriend, or not-girlfriend, depending on who tells it, during a house party. Jesse Lacey proceeds to get mad about this, leaves the band, and starts brand new. 
In 2001, the track 70 Times 7, a direct assault on John Nolan, will be added, and There's No I in Team on this record is by later admission of the band a direct reply to that track. Other songs on this album might also be piss takes on their former bandmate slash rival, but we don't have any confirmation. To just add a nice little bit of unpleasantness to this, in 2003, Adam Lazara starts dating Josh Nolan's sister until the two break up because Lazara couldn't keep it in his pants. Then Nolan leaves the band, and in his new band, Straylight Run, he writes an apology song to Jesse Lacey. We will not discuss Brand New anywhere else on this recording. During 2001, the band receives a record deal with fairly important punk independent label Victory Records. This came to be because Michelle Logo, who was a photographer, friend of the band and photographer who did all of the photos for the liner notes and the booklet of the CD. Uh, basically, she had contacts with people at Victory Records and during a road trip, she just made them listen to the Tell All Your Friend demo. People at Victory Records liked it and offered the deal to Taking Back Sunday, who accepted the deal despite their lawyer telling them that it was a terrible deal. But, you know, it worked out for them, so... Yeah. That's pop punk, a bunch of children ignoring the advice of lawyers and adults. And with a record deal in their pocket, the band was ready to re-record their demos and enter the studio in late 2001, December specifically. is the name of the record that we are covering today. It was released March 26 through Victory Records, produced by, you know that name, Sal Villanueva, who we already encountered on the production of Thursday's Full Collapse. Both the recording and mixing of this record were a bit fraught, because initially, Lazara lost his voice for a couple of weeks, putting a lot of things on hold. And after the recording, the band was locked out of the mixing process. When they listened to the record for the first time before it went into print, they found a lot of changes has been made that they were not a fan of. Like the Blue Channel's piano being very different from a moody and slow version on the demo, the strings and backing vocals in Great Romances of the 20th Century uh, not being in the recording session with them and just being added later, a lot of little choices that, with no input on it, they had a bit of frustration with. Despite this, the band ended up fairly happy with the record with Victory, mostly because after the release, they Victory helped them just touring a bunch of relatively big venues, like 2,000, 3,000 people. Also, Victory had pretty much a good handle on distributing the records. Despite what they were expecting, there were no problems in the distribution during the first couple of runs. Despite being an independent production, you know, an independent label production, 
The record was actually a fairly critical success, garnering a bunch of good reviews, excellent word of mouth, and eventually popping up for a week on 183 on the Billboard 200 records chart, which, you know, that's why we're covering it. Related to that, I I saw a mention that this is by far the best-selling album this band has ever had. I am unsure how correct that is, but that was a figure I saw cited in a few places that they have never topped the sales of Tell All Your Friends. That is very much possible, also because there are a bunch of re-releases of this record. Like, this record is extremely beloved and had a bunch of further runs down the the years. Hmm. I definitely know that there are more commercially successful, like, singles that they've done. Like, this record doesn't contain their only single which charted on the Hot 100 on Billboard, which is Make Them Sure. Hmm. But yeah, this is pretty much their most beloved record. This is sort of a touchstone for emo as a pop thing. I can see that. Videos are released for all the singles. Great Romances of the 20th Century, Cute Without the E, and Your Soul as Summer. The latter featuring Flavor Flav of Public Enemy, replacing only on the video the members of the band who by the time the video was shot left the band. And uh, yeah, all of the video gets some MTV play, especially Your Soul as Summer gets some decent amount of play, but none of the song really charts in any mainstream chart. And with that, here we are at March 26, 2002, and we're going to talk about, well, I guess we're just going to tell all our friends in the audience. Do we, we, we have friends? I think it's questionable sometimes, but I think they do exist. Are they our power? Yes, because if we did not have them, no one would be inflating our listener numbers. Let's go on to You Know How I Do, track number one. Yeah, track number one, You Know How I Do. These vocals are incredibly tragic. They are. This is so much better than Finch vocally. Yeah, but that doesn't make them good. I really like, I think the vocals are the best part of this record. Really? I think they're the weakest part by and large. I I think the vocal sound well. First of all, the intro to this record is just like ah, I'm in high school again. Good. <laughs> I hate this. No, I I like this record, but uh, definitely takes me immediately back that intro. Hmm. But yeah, I like the vocals. I think they are. Uh, Adam Lazara has a really great voice for Emma. It's like very dramatic, very over the top. There's this great interplay between two different kind of screamed vocal. This is not a clean vocal, uh, screamed vocal thing. In that it's sort of like a 
sad emo vocal, angry emo vocal interplay kind of thing, and it works really well. And I love how they they sort of alternate. And yeah, this is what I talk when I say that an emo singer needs to sell you these lines. A lot of these lyrics are really cheesy, really bad, but God, that voice sells it to you. Completely committed to the bit. And I really like it. I do not think the voice works for me. I think that is the biggest flaw on this record until the back half is the vocal performance is incredibly jarring. And not in a good way. It's weird to me because I don't think this record is particularly strong, like... Aside from a couple of songs, I think the guitar work is very light. It's especially if you listen to the remastered, where they just shoot up the vocals to an uncomfortable degree. I don't like the remastered. I think the original version has a more balanced mix. The remastered just like mutes everything but the vocals. Which is true, again, I like the vocals, but I would like to listen to everything in the song. I get that. But... But yeah, I don't think there's, like, a lot of interesting stuff, like, instrumentally in this record. Like, it's competent, but especially, like, if you take this song, like, Guitar Works, nothing is really going on guitar-wise. This is sort of, like, the most, I don't want to say bland, but the most, like, soft side of melodic hardcore. Hmm. Yeah, I would definitely put this at being very much away from the hardcore side of things. It's breezy. It's way less hard than stuff like Finch, who actually put some heaviness in the Remo sound. But, on the other hand, I think everything else blends together in a way that I was never dragged out of, like the lyrics did. Mm, yeah. To be fair, the first two songs... Well, this song is not the worst lyrically. It gets worse. <laughs> oh yeah, this is this is perfectly all right. Uh, this is still Mascon on you know how I do. Also, I did start like doing Joe Biden lines in the voice of this singer for a bit at the middle of the track. There's just whenever I hear "Listen X," I always start doing a bad <laughs> Biden now. Listen, fat, we won't stand for hazy eyes no more. No smoky eyes. That's almost Bush, though. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say it was a good Biden. I said it was a very bad Biden. <laughs> Okay. That's almost Bush was the Biden slogan campaign, to be fair. I want you to know that right now, pop punk is in the halls of the White House. I am listening to all the Blinks 182. I will tell you about the math, the Common Core, the Sum 41. We won't stand for this smoky eye nonsense. Shall we talk about the bike scene? <laughs> all right. Yes, I will stop before I do another 10 minutes of this. Bike scene. Let alone your worst ex And let alone your worst I wanna hate you so bad But I can't Stop this Any more than you can Bike scene! It's the same song as before. Like, the, this is not a problem when you're listening to this record because it's honestly like a really breezy 30 minutes. 
but a lot of the songs are sort of the same. They're good, but they are sort of the same. And I like the chugga chugga guitar on this one, but this was the first time that the lyrics had me going, oh no, I have to look this up and see if I heard that right. To be fair, I think this is still vaguely in the realms of acceptable. And the screamed, I wanna hate you so bad, but I can't. Without the context of other tracks down the line, I really like it. I think it's very well delivered and it's a decent line and, you know, Lazara really sells it. I think this is a theme that comes back a lot. And looking back at it, I'm like, ooh, yikes, but sort of works in the song. The pair that had me going to the lyric sheet was, and you know very well that I can't keep my hands to myself going into the chorus, but I can't stop this any more than you can. Yeah. That's a bad chain of words here. Yeah. There's a note early on I'm writing, is this about Pee Wee Herman? Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) I didn't, I couldn't think of what else bike scene was supposed to mean. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. A lot of the titles are very much that kind of, you know, later, you know, Fallout Boy, like, sort of, like, clever titles that don't really have anything to do with the the song. I've made this joke before, but every friggin' emo band has song titles that sound like a light novel. (laughs) Yeah. Cute without the E, cut from the team. That is definitely the title of a light novel. Yeah. But, you know, this song has good ideas, the female backing vocals, which you cannot really make up what they're saying on the bridge are actually excellent. I really like how they are worked into the song, and I like that the bridge sort of goes into a slow-down verse that repeats this backing vocals, which sort of makes this very build-up tension, very build-up-y, almost like a super long bridge, and then you go into a faster outro, and I think that's like a really good way to shake up things while still maintaining technically the pop structure. I think it's like a very good way to make the song sound different while still not really making anything too out there. I I do still enjoy this. I think this is, as a whole, another strong track. The first half of this album, really into it. I just, this is where the, the lyrics started getting under my skin a little. Oh, yeah. And, and even just, like, even just stuff that's maybe innocuous, but like... I leave the lights down low so she knows I'm in business and maybe we can talk this over. Just makes me think, what if you cannot talk this over? This sounds like you're readying for a murder. I think while a lot of the lyrics here are sort of not not yet the worst, this, I mean, this record as a whole, but this song is definitely like when you start seeing, a, I feel like, a shift in the theming of a lot of emo. You know, if you listen to emo core and, you know, emotional hardcore was known at the time, or just like the more influential emo bands of uh, the decade before this, it, there was a lot of self-floating, but there was a lot of like genuine emotion in them and like a lot of trying to approach punk in a more poetic way. Like, it wasn't, like, this specific song is very 
oh, woe is me, I'm broken and I cannot hold a relationship, but I'm almost glorifying that in a way. Like, I'm almost selling it in a way that's just like, well, it's not my fault if I'm an awful person. That's just who I am. And it it, it is definitely a contrast. It is definitely something that I think will be a recurring problem in this genre. And yeah, and this this feels like the start of that. Even more than band like Glassjaw or Finch. Because like if you take Glassjaw, Glassjaw was just fucking angry in a very problematic way. But this is a lot of this self-floating but cool. Like right? I am broken, but that's almost like our selling point of this, which it's extremely icky and uncomfortable in a lot of parts of this record, especially when you're confronted with, again, stuff like Captain Jazz, which was much more, quote-unquote, wholesome, much more trying to do something generally poetic and something generally good. This is very direct and very, like, uh Let me link into something that I think is related, which... You're talking about how this basically puts some incredibly dark things that maybe should have been contemplated more in a very soothing, palatable package, correct? Uh, yeah, adjacent to that. There's a quote from, I want to say it was Ice Cube, and he was talking about how in the 90s, you know, when he was doing gangster rap, they were very angry. They were upfront. The emotions matched the tone of the music, matched the content. And then you get into, he specifically called out Biggie, where it's like, this guy is talking about doing some of the most horrendous things. He's terrible about women, but he's putting it in this smooth R&B package. And that means you got so much less backlash to what he was saying than when you had three dudes who were going by NWA or other things. I think that's very much what we're at. This is aggrieved white boys who are not being mad about it. They're being kind of seductive. Hey, girl, what if boy bands wanted to beat you upside the fucking face? And and the worst thing is that, like, again, if you listen to older emo, they're even not, like, they are better about this shit. Like, even with a different sound, they're like, you know, if you listen to Captain... I'm sure you can find some problematic Captain Jazz thing, but if you listen to Captain Jazz, there's, like, a lot of really artful and, like, abstract way to put this shit. And, like, I don't know. Let's go to the single. Yeah, let's talk about what a single from a group like Taking Back Sunday sounds like. Cute without the E, parentheses, cut from the T. gonna leave the lyrics for the last here because this is where the mask starts falling off oh the fight club video isn't yeah yeah so this is a fight club video for so long Eesh. 
uh, has a video where they pretty much just remix Fight Club. Fun fact, originally the idea of the singer was in that in this Fight Club men would fight women and they didn't let him do that. Wonder why? Especially when you when you read the lyrics in this thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, not, not good. Uh, but musically, this is the best track on the record. This is great. The small intro where it's mainly just like a, a bit of guitar and a voice before everything else comes in. It's like super fucking iconic. This is like a Simo Pop, a Simo Pop gets. This is both as pop as Simo Pop gets. And the interplay with the scream and the whole scream stuff, it means that it's also a Simo, a Simo Pop gets. There's a lot of just great hooks in the song. Again, mostly vocals. I think there's just like some supremely good composition in terms of how the different vocals interplay with each other and the vocal melodies that they use. There's an amazing outro where the slowdown lyrics overlap and it's really fun. They do it all over the record, but in this song it's particularly fun and well executed. Uh, this is a fantastic song. There's a reason why this was one of the biggest singles of the record. There's a reason why this is one of the songs that people remember the most from the record. This is catchy in a very aggressive way that almost doesn't make you realize how much like pop melody and pop hooks are built into the song. You there are those things there, but it's also, you know, wrapped in this tight, like, aggressive emo screamo package that makes you always remember this song as heavier than it actually was, because it, there's a lot of good, just, like, angry energy on this. It's definitely an angry track, but it's an angry track in the way that reminds me of being a young man once and blowing what was probably a first chance at a relationship where someone was trying to do something sweet to surprise me at a school dance and I misinterpreted it and blew up on her in a hallway because I wasn't the fool. She made me the fool. That's the energy this track has. Oh yeah, no, lyrically this has a... Sure. Lyrically this is terrible. Just gonna come out and say it. This is... This is the beginning of the theme of this record, which is Broken Boys Against Crazy Evil Girlfriends. And it's incredibly consistent through this record. And it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Everything that's happening is suddenly, you did this to me. You will, t you, will you tell all your friends about you've got your gun to my head? Suddenly the whole thing about, oh yeah, this album is just, you know, to get it out there. Tell all your friends. Yeah, get, you know, pimp us out as a demo. Suddenly it turns into, oh yeah, you're going to just shit talk me and say how you've ruined my life. Is that how this works? Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, this is more uncomfortable than the Finch murder song, because the Finch murder song is so over the top and just like the the concept of it is so like, you know, has a dark quality to it, but it's clearly crafted, right? I do not believe the singer from Finch killed anyone. Yeah, nobody, nobody gets Phil Collins energy off of this. This is instead like a very real 
you've got a grudge and you're just shy of saying Lucy's name on the track. Yo, man, dial it down a notch. Yeah, because there's a difference, right? When you make your like fucking whiny, dark song about bad relationship really over the top, again, you can have Finch saying that they're going to literally choke you, which, to be fair, it's not a thing that hasn't ever happened and this shit is horrible, but... I, again, I do not get the feeling that Finch actually wants to do that to anyone. Or, you know, when My Chemical Romance writes song about going on a murder spree and three cheers for sweet revenge, yes, they are incredibly, like, dark and edgy, but they are so exaggerated that it's like, it feels like people exploring that space creatively. When Taking Back Sunday sings this, I'm like, ugh. It feels like it's just them trying to be earnest. And them trying to be earnest reveals dirt and, like, rot. Finch is Homer Simpson strangling Bart. Taking Back Sunday is falling down, shooting your way across town. It's a shame, because I think the song musically is really good. Yeah, the song... Lyrics aside, video aside as well, the song on its own, pretty alright. I can see why this is a single. This, this is a track that had me writing, this is an inoffensive but good debut album. This hits me in an emo place, and that's okay. Yeah, this is when I started noticing the weird mixing in the remastered version, and I switched to a non-remastered for the listen, which I, I feel changed sort of night and day my listen of this record. It's a shame that on Spotify you can only find the remastered, I did compare a couple of tracks. This is not one of the ones that I said the mixing was bad on. But yeah, there's there's definitely some difference. There is the voice, as I was mentioned before, the voice on the remastered is just too over everything. And again, it's sub subtle stuff. I don't think, you know, you if you're listening on a phone, you probably wouldn't notice. But I don't know. this week I didn't. It wasn't a shot at you. <laughs> yes, but we also know I have done that repeatedly. That is fair. That is fair. I, was, I wasn't actually thinking about you. I was just thinking about the listening habits of the youth. Which definitely doesn't include you. Wow, you didn't have to add that bit. I was going to go, wow, I finally have something in common with the kids. <laughs> Knife to my heart. Yep. Ah, which is perfect, because this is the song where you have, you know, best friends means I pulled the trigger, best friends means you get what you deserve as the closer. There's a lot of shared territory with cute without the E in no I in team, but in this one, it feels like 
equals and grievances and there's less you made me do this just like I I did this because I felt it was how like this is the betrayal this is between you and I this is not how dare you you're gonna ruin me but I'm gonna ruin you first there's less visceral anger here there's like reminiscence yeah also on a just moral level i guess i don't know on a this feels icky level being really angry at a friend who quote-unquote betrayed you it's because of a lot of real life implication of really awful shit that happens in real life it's less uncomfortable than being angry at a partner that I feel that this, by not being about a romantic relationship, is automatically less uncomfortable for me. And also, there's the whole unspoken thing where with dudes, if you can just get out the emotions, negative or not, you have a non-zero chance of patching things up after you've screamed at each other and maybe punched someone in the kidney. I don't know, this is also like darker than the previous song it has a sort of angstier mood has a, it's a bit more subdued even though this guy never stops screaming throughout this record the, the song can be the slowest song on the record and this guy screaming his heart out which i like makes a lot of the record a bit same as i mentioned but it is only 30 minutes so doesn't really get old when my brain started tuning out the vocals, it made the song stand out more to me. <laughs> Again, I really like the vocals. I think they're the highlight of the record for me. I think that's a huge difference between how we're both taking this. But the interesting conclusion is, both of us still like the record. Both of us still like the record, despite a lot of problems with the record. So yeah, that should tell you something. This should tell all your friends something. That's a joke that I just made. Let's leave behind the vibe of the past few tracks and talk about great romances of the 20th century. It's about breakups. Yeah. <laughs> Look, they say that they don't like the strings on the song. I get it why Villanueva added the strings. Like, I'd be a hypocrite, as I said, to not say that this sort of suffers of mid-tempo emo syndrome. A lot of the songs in this record are mid-tempo emo songs. I think they're good mid-tempo emo songs, but tonally, this is sort of one note. And this is the first song that offers a bit of a break. It has a bit of a dreamier tone, but the problem is that it sort of very quickly devolves again into that emo chorus, like that emo screamed chorus, and I feel that adding those really shitty midi strings 
accentuates the difference of this track with the rest of the record rather than accentuating the parts in which it's similar, which really helps making it feel like a break. They are really shitty strings, I will agree with that with Taking Bad Sunday. They are extremely synth-like and they are very much like they're almost a MIDI sound, they're terrible, but they help. They are a good contrast, especially because you don't really have it anywhere else. I think you might not have it anywhere else on the album. Yeah, no, they're not anywhere else on the record. And interestingly enough, yeah, when they get... I'm presuming the drastic changes on the remaster are the band taking back some of that control. I could be wrong. I don't know that we have a confirmation. I think it definitely shows that the production team was correct in the first place on the couple that I listened to. This is one of the two I compared because I thought this was mixed like hot ass. I do think that the piano on the the blue song, the blue channel, is terrible, but I cannot imagine a slower version of that piano being good. So, I don't know. I don't think that piano on that song was a good idea either way. But yeah, in this case, I think the strings work. Also, speaking of weird piano and strings, how weird is it that Mike Patton is now the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song guy? What? That happened this week, yeah. Mike Patton sings that now. Why? I don't know. But it it works in a way that's very weird and wholesome, unlike a lot of Mike Patton works. Okay, I learned a new thing today. Shall we talk about more of this she's evil, I'm broken lyrics on this song? Because I'm pretty sure we both know the kind of people who look at relationships this way. At least I know a lot of people who like every single relationship they get out of. This is their look back onto, and they're the worst fucking people in the world. (laughs) This was young me. Yeah, I've I've basically obliquely hinted at it. But yeah, I was this idiot once. That is fair. That is fair. And yeah, it's, it's, it's shit. My favorite part of the song is that... I don't know, I feel that there was a point where I was not convinced by just not looking at the lyric thoroughly. I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's a thing, right? They're putting on this shitty guy persona almost in like a horror kind of way, almost if it's just like, you know, it's a clipping record. I think listening to this as a fully grown adult, it's just like, oh no, they're sincere. Oh no. Yes. This this takes a whole different kind of reading where it's not, when you're not just like, okay, they're playing gear up. Okay, it's like, you know, it's a thing. It's not a thing. They're sincere. When they're like screaming, I'm in your room, is this turning you on? It's not like a weird slasher film intro. It's just like them genuinely trying to be sexy. And hey, are we connected? Have we connected? (sighs) Yeah, that's the vibe this gives off. Yeah. (laughs) Again, musically, appreciable, a good break. Lyrically, ah. It's interesting that On multiple tracks on this record, I was writing down the tone they went for before I looked at the lyrics. This one has, uh, makes me think of old dead arcades for some reason. It had an emotional synesthesia vibe before I started, uh, reading any of the lyrics. (laughs) Do we want to, 
do we want to eject ourselves from this track? Sorry, I'm just laughing because the the, the way he screams is just turning you on is just extremely funny to me. Yeah, it would... <laughs> this is the kind of thing that if they ever do a pop-punk version of Walk Hard, this would be almost completely played straight. Yeah. And now uh, I'm just imagining have... John C. Riley. Am I turning you on? <laughs> Are you turned on? Am I turning you on? Hey. Hey. For your pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Steve brooled there. Let's go to Ghost Man on Turn. This is probably my favorite track on the album. Huh. This is... I, I don't know if it's my favorite. This is very sort of slower. It's, you know, what I tend to call radio rock, which is like sort of slow and shitty. Mm-hmm. But there's still the screaming, which makes it better for me. You know, if you take a ra- shitty radio rock song and it's like a bit slower, a bit like sadder, but you scream the fuck out of it, I don't know. Can sort of be into it. The guitar work on this one is a bit cure-esque. It's a very ethereal sound they're doing. It's pretty distinct. And it didn't hit me until about the last third of the song that he had gone from being quieter and reading things. And I didn't realize that, oh, wait, he's gotten to where he's just yelling now, but the whole thing flows well enough. I did not pick up on the change. I think this is probably one of the strongest tracks on a lot of levels, just because the composition, this is one of the times I think the vocals and the performance there work, and it doesn't have the sheer creep factor. It seems like an actual cry for help track. Yeah, this is more of a personal suffering track, and it's not, again, I don't think they're very good lyrically, But the bar here is, are they extremely creepy and are they going to murder you? And this passes that bar. They are not extremely creepy and they're not going to murder you in this track. So, you know what? Sure. Yeah. I think this is the sort of thing that is one of the few... I don't know if healthy is the word I want, but it's one of the most balanced human grapplings with emotion on the album without sheer toxicity coloring everything that's coming out of his mouth. Uh, I don't know that we can really add much more to it than that. Like, I think this is good. It is about a lot of very personal issues and mental health crises. Yeah, I don't think there's much more to add. I feel, especially now in the back house, we've said a lot of things that we were going to say about this band. And again, this is 30 minutes and it's not super varied, so... This is the good old thing that happens in a lot of these episodes where as the track list goes by, we have less and less things to say because 
We've talked about the salient point, and now there's, you know, more stuff. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Timberwolves in New Jersey? At New Jersey? At New Jersey. At New Jersey. This is this is where I start turning on the album a bit. I think this back half is weaker. But oh, really? I do. I love the song. Here is the thing. This one does get a point out of me because allegedly this came from him seeing the name Timberwolves at New Jersey as a headline, not realizing that was a sports team. And he just thought, there's just wolves just attacking the city and it is headline news <laughs> and then he found out later it's like uh, no they're a basketball team oops i made a sports reference i don't know i think this musically is really memorable it's i feel it's the other really good pop song in the record tonally it breaks up completely from the last song has this uh, almost upbeat rhythmic interplay between the voice and the guitar which is like a really good like pop hook the chorus works really well the small breakdown that the guitar goes into at the end of the chorus is like fucking great and the bridge is emo as fuck and i think this is just like one of the better constructed like pop songs on the record everything in the song worked perfectly as like just a tiny bunch of hooks to keep you into the song and it's just like very artfully crafted and it's very distinct from the rest of the record because uh, again it's a it's a bit more upbeat it's less depressing not lyrically but you know <laughs> it's less musically depressing and uh, i think this is one of the best songs of the record this is my second favorite uh, after cute without the e. uh yeah i think it's the second best of the three singles but that's just because i do not dig on the last one it kind of takes that spot by default. Uh, the video is also incredibly bad. I don't know if this video was made after they were on a label because it's very home movie-y. Yeah, I'm not seeing any mention of the production on this video. It's It's them doing a fake horror movie sort of trailer but also the whole story has to be there because you're not going to see any more of this so the band are all just doing teen movie thing someone's showering someone's making food someone's making out and then they all get captured and killed by a different member of the band who's feeling very jealous that all of them get to have girls yeah the, the video is terrible the again Musically, I think this is fantastic. Lyrically, this is the second this track on this record, and it's well-crafted for what it is. I like this song. It's perfectly okay. I, I'm not offended by it. I would not turn it off on the radio if it was my only choice. I'm also never going to hunt this one down. That's fair. 
That is very much fair. I really like it, but it's good to have different opinions. That's why we have multiple hosts on this podcast. Let's talk about one of the more controversial tracks with the band themselves and the shortest one on the album, The Blue Channel. As I mentioned, the piano at the beginning is super shitty. I don't think it would have been better if it was slowed down. And I don't know, this is this is one of those tracks where it's just like, ah, more of the same. It's fine, but I don't think there's a lot for me to say about it. This is where I saved my one emergency note that I always have on any album below a certain level of quality, which is... Is this better than St. Anger? No, I, that would have been a much smarter move. This is where I just wrote, generic pop punk track. Like, this feels like the most Mad Libs pop punk song, emo song we could discover. Let me look at the lyrics. I don't even remember what this is about. I'm assuming relationships and being sad and woman being evil. Yep. Yep, and yep. You're so guilty, it's disgusting, he's been sneaking underneath your sheets. God, dude, talk about something else, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to seeing, especially with all the lineup changes, what the next album from this band sounds like. Yeah. They need to get over whatever went on in their life. And it's... With musicians, sometimes, I think there's the opposite of what happens with directors. Uh, people have pointed out that some of Christopher Nolan's early stuff are scripts that he had worked on since he was a young man, and he had refined them. He kept trying to polish it up, take it back, until they finally got him in the door. And then... Later on, everything starts to get a little sloppy or whatever, because he's got more creative control, less people to tell him no. Sometimes I get the feeling that with musicians, the song that you have been working on, that you have used as a demo, that you have toured with before you have any kind of actual presence, is the darling you are least likely to kill or allow any changes to. Because, no, this is this is where all the heart is. And then you have to write a whole second set of albums in two years or less, and that's where you get the sophomore slump. Yep, that is fair. The Blue Channel feels a lot like something that teenagers would have written and never changed because this is the most... This is the closest this record comes to screaming infidelities. Also, like, a recurring theme. Oh, th this girl is evil, but I still love her so much because I'm such a nice guy. Like, regardless, you know that I'll still wait for your call. Which is just, like, roll my eyes, like, 360 degrees of this shit. <sighs> Shall we go to the next song? Yeah, let's talk about the incredibly weird You're So Last Summer.
Because again, we mentioned this is the most straightforward video. It doesn't have a weird concept. It's just we're all playing on a stage. This feels like uh, in too deep. The only weird thing about the video is that they replaced the guitar player who left this band at this point because of the previously mentioned drama with Slave a Slave. Yeah, and there's no comment about it. When I had this on, I looked away for a second and I looked back and Flavor Flav with clock around his neck is on the mic and I'm just, what the fuck? Yeah. This is before that guy got his comeback too with reality stardom and all the weirdness associated with that. So this is just a bunch of white boys really liked Public Enemy, I guess? They mentioned that given that like one of the members of the band was missing, they wanted to do something like to because it would have been weird to not have anyone sing the backing vocals, and this is what they came up with. You don't know much about Flavor Flav, I presume. Not really. Alright, so within a little over a year from this video, Flavor Flav will be on a VH1 reality show called The Surreal Life, where they throw washed-up celebrities into a house together, blah, blah, blah. And he starts getting into a romance with another one of them, Bridget Nielsen, which they spin off into their own show called Strange Love for a few seasons. And that whole thing fails. And then they give him a series where the entire goal is for a bunch of women to try and date and marry Flavor Flav. And this is three years of this. Okay. This this dude, who was instrumental to a lot of 90s rap and hip-hop, just becomes a basic cable joke. And a part of me wonders, given the timing, if he wasn't put back onto the radar to be chosen for that show because of this video. That, yeah... I do not have any comments on that. That surely is a chain of events. So yes, just seeing the dude who became a tremendous joke show up all of a sudden and be like, wait, I looked away and you're here? What? Uh, the song itself, by the way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is the only one of the singles that I had heard before. It's the most stock single. This feels like it could have been a few other bands we've listened to. It doesn't have as much emo DNA in it. It's uh, it's definitely lighter. It's definitely a bit more summerier in sound. It has like sort of this lighter summery feeling, although they're still screaming. Oh yeah, I don't know the lyrics on this again. Are uh, are something else? There's so much nice guy energy on this track. God, like the, maybe, maybe I, I should, should hate, hate, you, hate for this. you for this. Yeah. yeah. Never really did get that far. Yeah. Uh, the bridge and outro are cool. I like how they speed up the song a bit, but... This is one of the other ones where a female made me do it. Uh, there is definitely the line, The truth is you could slit my throat, and with my one last gasping breath, I'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt. Yeah, again, extreme nice guy energy. It's fucking awful. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on to the second and final Fight Club reference of the album, Head Club. Well, it's getting colder and 
Head Club. This song is a bit of a mess. It, it's a decent closer for the record, but I don't really like it as a song. I haven't called it out because these guys tend to be pretty wordy, so the, the numbers are less impressive if I were to go, this song is 33% of the same lyric by volume. But this one is pretty bad with 55%. Don't call my name out your window, I'm leaving. That's the whole, like, outro for, like, a good minute of the song. If you have to say it, so much, you're not leaving fast enough. <laughs> hey, hey, don't don't yell for me. I'm going. I'm going. No, 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 don't say it. It's cool. I'm leaving. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, I'll get out of the door, but I'm going. Well, fuck you too. Okay, sure. Bye, bitch. That's the energy this has. <laughs> Very much. Like, this is the after... You know, 10 tracks of them being like, oh, you're horrible, but I love you. Like, this is finally the track where the, the breakup happens, and it's as bland and not not well-constructed as you may expected. Musically, this is, I think, one of the weakest, mostly because it has none of the careful pop construction of the other tracks. Like, this is clearly meant to be more of an outro, this is a bit more all over the place. There is not really a consistent chorus. It's sort of just a bunch of maybe sort of interesting bit that just go nowhere and end into this really long outro. And again, it's a closing track. Doesn't have to be a good track in its own, but mm, I'm left cold by this one. Easily the bit that just took it from well the repetition also really made me go just go already just end this but second place in terms of taking this from oh okay this is a this is a good closing track to oh my god just leave already was <laughs> the repeated claim i'm sick of writing every song about you okay i'm gonna if the songs were better written that would be a cool line <laughs> yeah I don't hate that line specifically. I think that's like a very well put way to just like have this sort of breakup album. The problem is most of the writing is so fucking creepy that that line also becomes really fucking creepy. Well, also, the ultimate version of that line had already existed by this point, which is, you're so vain... I bet you think this song is about you, don't you, don't you, don't you. Yeah. That's it. That's this perfect way of bet. It's, I wrote this song, and it's clearly about you, but I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of telling you that, and I'm going to make you feel like a dick if you think it, even though it's obvious to everyone. This is just, oh, yeah, I keep talking about you, but I don't want to. Don't bother trying to explain, Angel. Well, I know exactly what goes on. And I went, you're on your own. So, how about I'm outside of your window? Yeah, how about I'm outside of your window? Don't you keep all the details yeah. covered. Yeah. You're such, such a sucker for sucker. Right. And will you tell all your friends? Taking back Sunday can take itself out to the garbage. 
Really? No, no, just like I said, this back half really... Again, six, seven good tracks on an album. That's a that's a pretty good hit rate for uh, ten tracks, but boy, they backload all the stuff that does not work for me on every level. I don't know. I like this record. I think there's like two... There are two wolves inside of you. <laughs> One really likes the screaming on this record and thinks Adam Lazzara is a very charismatic frontman and singer. And the other reads the lyrics of this record, and it's not a comfortable read. I don't know. It it definitely has something. It definitely developed that screamo style into a pop acceptable form. And I think that's something that I still find enjoyable to this day. It does have a nostalgic like value for me, aside from everything else. And a lot of the lyrics are really uncomfortable and you sort of have to balance the two things. I think the mood itself this record sets, especially with its really breezy 33 minutes, it's great. I think musically this does everything that you want, sort of like a lighter, not particularly heavy emo record to do. And then, again, and then there is the thing that these dudes are talking about, which vary from whiny nice guy shit to straight up creepy shit and yeah yeah I I feel this is gonna be a duality that we'll have to face a lot and a lot and a lot on this podcast I again I did say I came out positive on this one I think as you mentioned the runtime is good nothing ever dragged for me four minutes being the longest song really helps it's well paced I think that in most of the tracks, they give them a distinct sound. Musically, they were not blending together in a way. Like, if you played me snippets of each, I could probably give you a 70% hit rate instantly with the names in front of me. But the lyrics are just raw toxicity in so many cases. And... I also think there's just the fact that at the end of the day, it will be curious to see what comes next, because so much of this album is wrapped up in drama and infighting, and people are going to walk away. And what does this ship of Theseus band become next? Especially seeing, once again... Very rarely on this show have we had their debut album is still their best seller ever. Most of these guys, it's like, yeah, the first one gets them attention and then they really strike it out of the park on the second swing. I have a lot of curiosity about the next Taking Back Sunday album, but this one is firmly okay. I would I would put it on the top half of our uh, our list so far. Yeah, same with, again, the big asterisk of... I completely understand if someone looks at this lyrics and is like, I don't want to listen to this thing. Yeah. Do you want to tell us again what's next week? Next week, it turns out we're going up to a land, a plan, a canal, Canada. And we're going to talk about a simple plan with no pads, no helmets, just balls. Same song, different chorus. It's stupid, contagious, too big.
So, this was the episode. You can find us on our great, extremely cool, really good site, getoutofthistown.com. If you want to contact us and tell us things, you can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. We will read them on air if you wish so. You can add us at G-G-O-O-T-T podcast, please do. We're on Twitter, we will respond to, to your questions. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, and if you go there on any of those platforms, you can rate and review us to do good in the world. Please do good. And next up, as we mentioned, it's Simple Plan, with whatever that record was called. No pads, no helmets, just balls. Yeah, I don't like the title. I was trying not to say it. That's why I'm saying it for you. Thank you. Do you have, aside from that one record by Simple Plan, something that you want to plug, Fletch? I will say you could find all of my works at website hellscaper.com. And I will also say that if you want a nice change of pace after this album, might I recommend The Sound of Birds? It's a lovely season. <laughs> have you added our podcast to hellscaper.com finally, Fletch? Uh, by the time this episode goes live, I will have, because I have not logged in to finish the maintenance on it yet, since it was still updating versions of WordPress. That is fair. I am glad we matter so much to you, Fletch, that you spent the last six months without putting us on your website. Here's the thing. You didn't check the website for six months to find out I hadn't. Because I assumed you did. I'm just saying, you care so much about my projects that you never looked are we going to make dueling emo records? <laughs> yeah, I think this is the part where we start writing really creepy, totally not love songs about each other. Uh, anyhow, you can find me as always on Twitter at ACC the Moon. And if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon, but we'd be grateful if you would help us in claiming back the days between Monday and Saturday before pop-punk bands successfully managed to steal the concept of time itself. They already took Thursday. We're, we're losing. We're losing the fight here. I'm actually now curious how many... Okay, pop-punk band days of the week. <laughs> okay, so... Do, 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 do. Oh my god, there, uh, in 2008 there was, quote, a band for every day. So, Taking Back Sunday, Hey Monday... Tuesday, also uh, experimental death metal band See You Next Tuesday is given a shout out here. Okay. Wednesday Night Heroes, a Canadian punk band. Thursday, duh. Yeah. The Friday Night Boys, who at the time of this article were on tour with Cute Is What We Aim For. Sure. And Saturday Looks Good To Me, a DIY group. Okay. <laughs> good night, people. See ya. What's on your mind? Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I'm sad now. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, that was that was probably one of the darkest things I've said on this show ever. I genuinely made me sad with that comment. Good job. <laughs>
generally deflated everything. This is why we need the upbeat charms of Adam to mellow us out. God. Well, quick, let's get out of this. Let's get to one of their singles. Cute without no, the... No, 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 let me... I, I have a thing. Okay. I... Okay. Abort. So... That's my problem. Same, TBH. And my phone is going off because I was afraid that I wouldn't wake up by this time. Let me just take off all of the alarms. I believe we call that the Kingdom Hearts alarm, which means that we need to get back on track. <laughs> uh... Oh no, oh no, they're going down the anime rabbit hole. Bling, ding, 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 ding. 